Hello, and welcome to today's edition of Tabernacle Today, a podcast maintained by the Tabernacle located in Danville, Virginia. The following lesson is by Dr. Danny Campbell, senior pastor at the Tabernacle, and was recorded during our Wednesday evening Bible study. Additional information about the Tabernacle can be found at our website at www.thetabernaclefamily.org. Our prayer is that you will be blessed by the Word of God today. Turn in your Bibles as we join Dr. Danny for another edition of Tabernacle Today. Well, tonight, donkeys in the plan of God. <laughs> and here I stand teaching. <laughs> um, so I wanted to do another Christmas theme tonight uh, before we go into what I've told you we're going to do in the new year. And that is um, the key verses uh, where we look at a key, a couple key verses each week uh, that really help unlock understanding of lots of Scripture for us. Scripture helps us interpret Scripture. But uh, I wanted to do another Christmas theme. And I thought back to the manger animals that we often include in our manger scenes. So I got to thinking about donkeys, because I knew there were other passages in the scripture that talk about donkeys. So tonight's going to be a study on some of the great things God did that included donkeys in the Bible. Now let me say one thing at the start, and that is the Bible does not explicitly say that Mary rode to Bethlehem on a donkey. Um, so we can't say definitively that she did, but I believe she probably did because that's usually how they would, they'd have a donkey along uh, on long trips like that. People did sit on them. People did ride them. They rode them fast even. And uh, of course, when they weren't riding them, they walked and people like Mary and Joseph probably walked a whole lot. Richer people had horses. They also used horses for wars. Others had camels and things, you know, like the wise men probably rode in on, you know, but uh, so it's very, very likely that she either rode on or had supplies on the back of a donkey as they walked. But, uh, but uh, it's not explicitly said. And so, uh, you know, I wanted to put that out there so nobody would send me an email saying, well, you know, Danny, the Bible doesn't explicitly say Mary rode on a donkey. But she might have. But two kinds of donkeys are spoken of in the Bible. Wild donkeys that do what they want and broken donkeys who are quite useful to their master. Ooh, sounds like a lot of people I know. There's wild people that do what they want to do instead of what the Lord wants them to do, and there's those that the Lord has gotten their attention. Sometimes he's done it with people like Jacob. He had to wrestle them and give them a limp the rest of their life. Uh, but there's uh, broken, domesticated uh, donkeys who are quite useful to their master. They can get a lot of work done. When speaking of wild donkeys, the Old Testament Hebrew used the word para, parer, uh, which occurs only 10 times. And it was used to refer to what Ishmael, Ishmael would be like in, Romans, in Genesis 16, 12. Um, Genesis 16, 12 says, Ishmael will be a wild donkey of a man. Some translations just read wild man, but the word donkey is in there. He'll be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against every man and every man's hand against him, and he shall dwell in the presence of his brethren. And Ishmael and his descendants are some of those historic ones that have always just been an irritant around Israel. Uh, and, of course, uh, Ishmael uh, was Abraham's son through Hagar, the uh, uh, fleshly plan that didn't work out, you know, that uh, 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 Sarah had suggested. The prophets Jeremiah and Hosea used the word wild donkey to speak about how given over many in Israel had become to idolatry and immorality. 
Uh, they act on instinct, just like wild donkeys do. And so Jeremiah, I mean, he, he lambasts uh, the people of uh, Judah several times. He says, he said in Jeremiah 2.24, A wild donkey accustomed to the wilderness that sniffs the wind in her passion, who can turn her away in her mating season, you know? And so he said, that's what you're like, you idolaters, you, uh, you know, you uh, immoral folk that just uh, won't uh, trust and turn to God. It's very interesting. Idolatry is presented in Scripture as basically immorality against God, and immorality includes often idolatry too. Hosea 8.9, Hosea the prophet was speaking more to Israel in the north, and he says, For they have gone to Assyria like a wild donkey all alone. Ephraim has paid for lovers. And so we don't want to be like the word para, wild donkeys like that. They do what they want. They don't get anything done in a focused way. They just take what they want and leave destruction in their path. And many people, unfortunately, are just like that. But in contrast, the Bible has much to say about how useful and productive donkeys uh, were. And one of them even got to speak to his master, if you remember. We're going to go in that passage in just a little bit. And so it's the word hamor, Hebrews strong word 2543. Sometimes I like to include those sometimes. It occurs 96 times and is more often used of the domesticated donkeys who show up in the Bible's history. So in Genesis 49, 14, it says Issachar will be a strong donkey, and it's a compliment, man. He's going to be able to bear burdens between of his uh, Israelite brothers. Um, donkeys are so useful, they're actually put in the Ten Commandments. Uh, do you know which one? Which one? The Tenth one, right. I, I put it here for you. Uh, the, the one about coveting, you shall not covet. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything else that is your neighbor. So he could have said lots of other kind of animals, right? Uh, sheep, they had lots of sheep. They had other things, you know, goats. Uh, but he's, uh, donkeys got in there. Uh, oxen, donkeys are used to reflect valuable things of your neighbors. In fact, donkeys were so valuable that um, the law of the firstborn to redeem the firstborn, just like a son with a donkey too. So if you had a donkey, uh, when they had a colt, when they had a, a little donkey, uh, they ceremonially redeemed them with a lamb sacrifice. Uh, so that's how valuable and uh, they were. And they had lots of rules, you know. Uh, Exodus 23, 12 tells us they were to be given the Sabbath day rest from work. So not only don't you work, but don't find a way to have your donkey work and let the donkey rest too. So you can see the donkeys kicking up their uh, you know, heels uh, on Sabbath day because they got rest, you know, not uh, worked like they were the other six days of the week. They were to be treated right and not unequally yoked with ox. Uh, so uh, Deuteronomy 20, 20, 22, 10, some some. Some very uh, foolish Israelite was probably thinking, I wonder if I could get my ox and my donkey and yoke them together there and get the same work done. And so God put into his law, don't do that to your poor donkey. You value your donkey. You take care of your donkey. That's a beast of burden. That'll get so much work done for you. The ox will overwhelm. You'll have crooked rows. You'll have a worn out donkey, you know. Two ox together, two donkeys together, but not a donkey and an ox, which was pretty cool. Even the parts of a donkey are powerful. How many men did Samson kill with a donkey's jawbone? Anybody know? It's in uh, Judges 15. A thousand. I've killed a thousand men with the jawbone of an ass, of a donkey. 
Now, the most donkeys mentioned at one time is 61,000. So when Israel in Numbers 31 defeated the Midianites, uh, that's how much booty they got in the area of donkeys. That's a lot of donkeys. The Midianites were running with them, you know. I don't know where they had time to uh, worry about messing with Israel when it was passing by, but they did. Uh, I love the story of one of the judges, Jair, J-A-I-R. He had 30 sons. What did they ride on? 30 donkeys. So, you know, seven brides for seven brothers, 30 donkeys for 30 sons, right? Judges 10-4. But not to be outdone, Abdon the judge had 70 donkeys for his 40 sons and 30 grandsons to ride on, Judges 14-12. So that's just some fun with different things about donkeys back there. Uh, Donkeys were so important in Israel that uh, there was actually an official donkey keeper that David had. And I'm not even going to ask you to say his name. I wouldn't have known it if I hadn't looked it up for this. Jedediah, Jedediah the Maranathite, was the official donkey keeper. So for David, everybody's got a job, right? Now let's look at some of the donkeys used in the plan of God. So turn to Genesis 22. Now, I'm taking a little liberty tonight because it is fun. It's the last teaching on Wednesday night before the new year. Um, Now, I'm thinking about later we're going to see Balaam's donkey talking to him. And so I wonder how many donkeys have had some kind of something to say to the people that rode them (laughs) and weren't able to express it. (laughs) <laughs> like Balaam. So I, I, I'm trying to attribute, you know, I mean, beasts are, uh, you know, don't necessarily, they're not made in the image and likeness of God. So sometimes we personify feelings for them and things like that. But I couldn't help but think, you know, what donkeys were thinking. We know that when Balaam's donkey was allowed to speak, he was able to tell, uh, he was able to express frustration with uh, Balaam and reason with him like have I ever done you wrong before if I'm not walking forward isn't there a reason you know Uh, and so I wonder as donkey saw various um, things associated with big uh, events in the Bible uh, what they were thinking and could they express it if they could have their mouth opened or was there also a supernatural opening of the feelings for the donkey with Balaam I don't know okay Danny's cracking up. (laughs) Genesis 22. When it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. Then he said, take now your son, your only son Isaac. He had the son Ishmael by Hagar, but the only son of promise was Isaac, whom you love and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and he split the wood for the burnt offering, and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. I wonder what the donkey was thinking in that moment. Okay, I brought all this wood for this sacrifice, uh, and um, why wasn't there a lamb on my back also? <laughs> well... It says, So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering, laid it on Isaac his son, and he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham his father and said, My father. He said, Here I am, my son. He said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. 
So the two of them went together. Then they came to the place of which God had told him. And Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven. I'm so glad God is never, uh, he's always on time. Not early, not late, he's always on time. And just as Abraham was about to kill his son, but the angel of the Lord called him from, from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God. You revere God since you've not withheld your son, your only son from me. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram, offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you've done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son. Blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven, as the sand which is on the seashore. And your descendants shall possess the gates of their enemies. In your seed all the eight nations of the earth shall be blessed, because you've obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young man, and they rose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham dwelt at Beersheba. So think about that donkey. The donkey of Genesis 22 got the assignment to transport the wood for the sacrifice of Isaac. God provided a substitute lamb, and Jesus, of course, is called the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world in John 1.29. Think about that donkey. The lads and the donkey must have been so relieved to see both Abraham and Isaac return from the sacrifice. And on their way home, I bet that donkey's head was held high. That was pretty cool how God worked that one out. And I wonder about, you know, um, what the donkey that held Jesus later on when he rode into Jerusalem was thinking. uh, If he was thinking back on that donkey from many, 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 many generations ago, you know, that had transported uh, Isaac and the sacrificial wood. Well, that's one of the first key instances of a donkey in the Bible. Genesis 44, so from 22, we go to 44. And in this case, this is, I'm not going to read as many verses here, but in this case, we've got Joseph's brothers appearing before him. They've ridden donkeys up to, or uh, down to Egypt to meet with uh, Pharaoh's man that could give them food. They don't know it's Joseph. Uh, and they meet with him, and he uh, puts things in their bags that are on these donkeys that are going to go back, you know. And uh, number chapter 44, verse 10 says, So Joseph's messing with them, and he sends his guy after them because he's planted, a, um, he's planted a, uh, something valuable in one of their sacks. And they're like, we haven't done anything wrong. Check the sacks. So verse 10 says, And he said, Now also let it be according to your words. He with whom it's found shall be my slave, and you shall be blameless. Then each man speedily let down his sack to the ground, and each opened his sack. So he searched. He began with the oldest and left off with the youngest. And the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Then they tore their clothes, and each man loaded his donkey and returned to the city. Man, I wonder what them donkeys were thinking. Wait a second. We know the truth here. We wish we could speak, you know. That kid didn't do anything wrong. What's happening here, you know? Joseph had put had the man put a sack in Benjamin's sack, loaded it up on the donkeys, and uh, the son, the brothers were none the wiser. 
And of course, uh, that's where we get this amazing thing. Uh, you know, think about donkeys. What do donkeys do when they're upset? <laughs> they bray, right? You know, we got a donkey that lives behind us now. It's a lot of fun. He's all over the place. There's a goat there, too, with the cows and things. But, um, yeah, you wonder if they were braying about all that. And we know this gave Judah the opportunity to step forward, like we've talked about on some of these Sundays, and take uh, uh, Benjamin's place of judgment before uh, before. So look at verse um, 33 of the same chapter. Judah yells out, Now therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the lad Benjamin as a slave to my Lord, and let the lad go up with his brothers. For how shall I go up to my father if the lad is not with me? Thus perhaps I see the evil that would come upon my father. And that's that beautiful passage where you'd wonder if Jesus was looking down and said, That's the tribe I want to be from, Father, when I go to earth, because that's what I'm going to do for them. I'm going to take their place. So in the first instance we looked at, Abraham was willing to sacrifice Isaac but didn't have to. A substitute lamb was there. But we know that later God did sacrifice his son. Here Judah's willing to take Benjamin's place but doesn't have to because Joseph reveals that it was all a test. But God later did give his son. And so turn to Genesis 49 because Judah's donkey must have been the proudest donkey that day, head a little bit higher than the other ones. And we get to Genesis 49, and the greatest blessing goes not to Joseph with his great character from Genesis 37 to 50, but it goes to Judah. And then in Judah's specific prophetic blessing, guess which, what is also included? A reference to a donkey. So there is a tie, tie in here. Uh, Genesis 49, verse 8 says... Verse 8 says, Judah, you are he whom your brothers shall praise. Judah's name means praise, by the way. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's children shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, you've gone up. He bows down. He lies down as a lion. And as a lion, who shall rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh comes. That's a reference to the Messiah. Shiloh means light. And to him will be the obedience of the people. They'll have to obey him. He's that kind of guy. Verse 11, binding his donkey to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine, he washed his garments in wine and his clothes in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine, his teeth whiter than milk. So here we learn that one day a descendant of Judah would be the rightful ruler of Israel, ride on a donkey and wear bloody clothes. The uh, reference to the clothes stained uh, with grapes is undoubtedly makes us think about Christ's uh, bloody robe that uh, factors in all the way to the uh, end of the book, Revelation. Um, well, just some other things as we keep moving along here. Moses put his wife and sons on donkeys when he returned to Egypt. So they, uh, people going back and forth throughout the Holy Land on this mode of transportation. Donkeys were the Ubers of the day uh, for the uh, poor especially. Um, Numbers 22, let's go there. Got to get to the Balaam passage that's so good. Do you remember the name of the king that hired uh, Balaam, tried to hire Balaam? Oh, did, did actually try to hire him uh, to curse Israel? Balak, yeah. Yeah, Balak. Balak hired Balaam. Um, and um, so... Uh, it's really several chapters that are really neat, uh, starting in about chapter 22. 
and the encounter with uh, Balaam and his donkey and the angel of God uh, are is pretty uh, much on the front end of the talk. Verse 22 of chapter 22. Then God's anger was aroused because he went. Um, so I, I think Balaam has tried to say, I can't curse what God's not cursed, you know. I need to um, obey God. And... Uh, so he wasn't listening carefully enough, and so God's anger was aroused because he went. The angel of the Lord took his stand in the way as an adversary against him. And he was riding on his donkey, and his two servants were with him. Now the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand, and the donkey turned aside out of the way and went into the field. So Balaam struck the donkey to turn her back onto the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path between the vineyards with a wall on this side and a wall on that side. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pushed herself against the wall and crushed Balaam's foot against the wall, so he struck her again. Now, we know of another passage where Elisha's servant uh, was afraid because of all the enemy gathered around. And Elisha prayed and says, open my servant's eyes. And when the servant's eyes, spiritual eyes, were opened, he saw all the angelic warriors right out there in front. And he knew that there was more with them than against them, you know. And uh, so... Here Balaam can see the spiritual reality. The Lord makes him able to see the spiritual reality, and Balaam can't, and the other the servants can't. So what did uh, um, it says, uh, verse 26, And the angel of the Lord went further, stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn, either to the right hand or to the left. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam. <laughs> this is great. <laughs> she just says, I'm just sitting down now. I'm not going to go past the angel of the Lord. Um, and uh, his anger was aroused. He struck the donkey with his staff. And here it is, verse 28. Then the Lord, Yahweh, opened the mouth of the donkey, and she said to Balaam, What have I done to you that you've struck me these three times? <laughs> now, I'd have a lot of questions if my animals started talking to me, right? Besides being a parrot, right? I mean, if, if these other animals that don't talk. I love how C.S. Lewis has talking animals in the Chronicles of Narnia. But Balaam seems to act like this is the most natural thing. He's got such anger here, he's just going to carry on a some conversation with his donkey who's never talked to before. My first question would be, how are you talking? What? You know. But instead, uh, it says, he said to the donkey, because you've abused me, I wish there were a sword in my hand for now, I would kill you. So now he's having a conversation with his donkey, and the donkey says to Balaam, am I not your donkey on which you've ridden ever since I became yours to this day? Was I ever disposed to do this to you? And he said, well, well no. <laughs> then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand, and he bowed his head and fell flat on his face. And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why have you struck your donkey these three times? Behold, I have come out to stand against you, because your way is perverse before me. The donkey saw me and turned aside from me these three times. If she had not turned aside from me, surely I would have killed you by now and let her live. So in this case, donkey saves Balaam's life by not just walking right into the spiritual ambush. Whoa! I wonder if the Lord's ever done that through us. I wonder if uh, because we've had to be fooling with an animal somehow, we didn't go somewhere sooner and didn't get in a car wreck or something like that. You know, Interesting to think about. And Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned, 
For I did not know you stood in the way against me. Now, therefore, if it displeases you, I will turn back. Then the angel of the Lord said to Balaam, Go with the men, but only the word I speak to you, that you shall speak. So Balaam went with the princes of Balak. I wonder what the other two servants were thinking. I wonder if they got to see what Balaam got to see. People don't always get the same uh, conviction we get, but God worked on old uh, Balaam there. So after Balaam's donkey got to verbally rebuke his owner, he got to listen as Balaam uttered a prophecy about the coming Messiah. So had the donkey, here's the hero of the story, at least the donkey thinks so. Donkey says, I'm the hero of the story. Uh, If the donkey had not uh, been respectful of the angel of the Lord, then Balaam would not have been alive to give this great prophecy of Christ that's in Numbers 24, 17, and 19. Where the donkey said, I, uh, donkey. <laughs> Balaam said, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob. A scepter shall rise out of Israel. Out of Jacob, one shall have dominion. It's a prophecy about Christ. It's a prophecy about him ruling on earth. It's a prophecy about him dealing with ancient enemies that won't turn to God like Moab and Edom. Some good stuff there. But that we wouldn't have that messianic prophecy if it hadn't been for... Uh, the donkey saving Balaam. So who's the donkey in the story, right? <laughs> um, so uh, just to go over another quick story I like, Caleb's sweet daughter was on a donkey when she dismounted and asked for extra land as a wedding present to her and Othniel in Joshua 15. Daddy, give me the upper springs and the lower springs too. And he did. And I think that donkey must have rolled her his eyes, right? Oh, goodness, you know. Um, there was actually white donkeys mentioned in Deborah's Song of Victory in Judges 5.10. So Revelation t- uh, 19 has a white horse. I wonder if donkeys dream of uh, being a, a, like a white horse or a white donkey or something. We know that Saul went looking for his family's lost donkeys, and because he was, you, you wonder if the Lord roused the donkeys to run away. Saul was out looking for them, and that's when Samuel came to him and anointed him king of Israel. Um, they were often used to bring relief. David brought food and relief to his brothers and the troops on a donkey in 1 Samuel 16. Later, both Abigail and Ziba did the same thing to relieve David's troops. On a sadder note, this past Sunday I mentioned that Bathsheba's granddad was Ahithophel, and he joined a rebellion, uh, Absalom's rebellion. I guess he had lost respect for David uh, through the Bathsheba matter. He uh, joined Absalom's rebellion, and uh, later, when it was all found out, his involvement in things, um, he got up on his donkey and rode uh, back, put his home affairs in order, and committed suicide, hung himself, which is sad. I wonder if that tear, that donkey had a tear in its eyes. I hope the donkey wasn't still tied up, you know. Um, and there's another sad note in First Kings 13. This is one of my uh, favorite uh, stories um, that's weird in the Bible. First Kings 13. See if you can find First Kings 13. So we see in several of these uh, actual events that happened, God uh, doing something to uh, center the animal or agitate the animal, you know, uh, that factored into his plans. And when we have, uh, you know, things like a horse throw somebody and they uh, have a limp the rest of their life or something, maybe God's using that sovereignly in their life somehow. He uses different ways to humble us, that's for sure. But um, this is one of the strangest stories in 1 Kings 13. Verse 11 says, An old prophet dwelt in Bethel, 
Bethel means house of God. And his sons came and told him all the works that the man of God had done that day in Bethel. They also told their father the words which he had spoken to the king. And their father said to them, Which way did he go? For his sons had seen which way the man of God went, who came from Judah. Then he said to his son, Saddle the donkey for me. So they saddled the donkey for him, and he rode on it, and went after the man of God, and found him sitting under an oak. Then he said to him, Are you the man of God who came from Judah? And he said, I am. Then he said to him, Come home with me and eat bread. And he said, I can't return with you nor go in with you, neither can I eat bread nor drink water with you in this place. For I have been told by the word of the Lord, You shall not eat bread nor drink water there, nor return by, the go- by going the way you came. He said to him, I too am a prophet as you are, and an angel spoke to me by the word of the Lord, saying, Bring him back with you to your house, that he may eat bread and drink water. He was lying to him, the text says. So sometimes uh, one Christian will say to another Christian, or one pastor even to another pastor, It's okay, you know, it's okay, you can do this. And out of respect for the other person, they show disrespect for what God's clearly made known to them. And we've got to be careful not to, out of respect for even somebody that claims to be a person of God, we show disrespect to God, right? We have to follow those tender consciences that give, gives him. In this case, it worked out disastrously. Verse 19, he went back with him, ate bread in his house, and drank water. God had told him not to do that. It happened as they sat at the table that the word of the Lord came to the prophet who had brought him back. He cried out to the man of God who came from Judah, saying, Thus says the Lord, because you've disobeyed the word of the Lord and have not kept the commandment which the Lord your God commanded you, but you came back, ate bread, and drank water in the place which the Lord said to you, Eat no bread and drink no water. Your corpse shall not come to the tomb of your fathers. Oh, gosh. Isn't that sad? It's weird, but it's so sad. So it was, after he'd eaten bread and after he'd drunk, that he saddled the donkey for him, the prophet whom he had brought back. When he was gone, a lion met him on the road and killed him. Ah! And his corpse was thrown on the road, and the donkey stood by it. Now, have you ever seen a donkey stand next to a lion? Uh, No. What's the donkey doing? (laughs) I'm out of here! (laughs) The lion also stood by the corpse, so somehow God puts a stupor on both of them right there. And there men passed by and saw the corpse and the lion standing by the corpse, and they went and told it in the city where the old prophet dwelt. I saw the strangest thing out there. There's a dead prophet, a lion standing there, a donkey standing there. When the prophet who had brought him back from the way heard it, he said, It is the man of God who was disobedient to the word of the Lord. Therefore the Lord has delivered him to the lion which has torn him and killed him according to the word of the Lord which he spoke to him. And he spoke to his son saying, Saddle the donkey for me. So they saddled it. He went and found his corpse thrown on the road and the donkey and the lion standing by the corpse. I would love to be able to interview that donkey. Was he just courageously staying, you know, or was he in a stupor of some kind too? The lion had not eaten the corpse nor torn the donkey. And the prophet took up the corpse of the man of God, laid it on the donkey and brought it back. So the old prophet came to the city to mourn and to bury him. Then he laid the corpse in his own tomb, and they mourned over him, saying, Alas, my brother. So it was after he buried him that he spoke to his son, saying, When I am dead, then bury me in the tomb where the man of God is buried. Lay my bones beside his bones. For the saying which he cried out by the word of the Lord against the altar in Bethel and against all the shrines on the high places within the city of Samaria will surely come to pass. What a weird story. But um, I love... uh, it's a powerful picture to me to think of the prophet's donkey staying there by his master's dead body despite the danger of a lion present, and then to think of that same donkey transporting his master to his place of burial. 
Well, there was also, you may remember, the widow riding her donkey quickly to see Elisha, the man of God, when her son had died. So here as we come down the home stretch, we think of the amazing prophecy in Zechariah 9.9 that also included a donkey of the future. It said, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a coat, a foal of a donkey. So I'm back to the time of Mary. And I wonder, did she ride the donkey into Bethlehem while pregnant? Did that route take her through Jerusalem? If she did, then when he was first on earth, his while he was in his mother's womb, he went through Jerusalem, as Zechariah 9.9 said. And then she went to Jerusalem after giving birth to Jesus from Bethlehem to dedicate the child, and so Jesus was a little baby. Was she on the donkey and her holding Jesus then? But of course, what does the cradle lead to? The cradle leads to the cross, you know. Uh, Jesus came on a mission. He had to be fully human to identify with us, to be able to sacrifice for us. I love how Timothy says it. There's one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. So being God, he could represent God to us. Being man, he could represent us to God. The Son of God became the Son of Man, so the children of men could become the children of God. And uh, so all those wonderful things there. The cross leads, the cradle leads to the cross. Turn to Matthew 21. The last passage we'll look at, well, we'll look at John 12 also, so Two more passages, and both flow fairly quickly. Matthew 21, verse 1, When they drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey. (laughs) You'll find a donkey tied, a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. I've got some questions about that. Uh, Had the Lord appeared to them in a vision? Had an angel appeared to the uh, the owner and said, let them have it when they come? Yeah, I'm not. If if donkeys are so valuable, I'd be reluctant. Okay. Was this already a disciple of Christ, one who had followed him and heard him talk? So interesting. After this... All this was done that it might be fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them, and set him on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitude who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? So the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. Now remember earlier I had a little fun thinking, I wonder what donkeys are thinking. I wonder what that donkey was thinking while he was coming into Jerusalem and all the people were cheering and stuff. He's like, this is the kind of a treatment I should get as a donkey. You know? <laughs> but the donkey wasn't the point, was he? He was doing the work to transport Jesus in there. And I think about that us. Sometimes we crow and say, look what I did, look what I did. And the really reason that where people look at us or give us any credit is because what the gifts and talents the Lord's given us and the abilities he's given us to bless the world, right? So we don't want to be like the donkey. We want to be uh, proud of and glorifying Jesus, not uh, taking 
earthly pride in ourselves. Well, Revelation 19 tells us when Jesus returns to earth at his second coming, he's going to ride a white horse, right? Which conquering kings often did when they returned. The white horse showed the real work was already done at the cross. And so the lion of the tribe of Judah rides in on a white horse. And so I've often thought that when we think about the lion analogy, we think about the white horse, we think of victory, we think of conquerors, someone that you can't withstand. But at his first coming, Jesus rode on a donkey. Donkeys are notoriously notorious and famous. They're famous for being beasts of burden. They can get so much work done. Even in the Ten Commandments, compared to an ox, they're so valuable. He was the lamb of sacrifice who was offering himself up for the sins of the world. And the perfect animal to ride in on that first time was a donkey representing his work for us on the cross. So I like to think about the donkey corresponding to the lamb because of the work that had to be done. What did Jesus say on the cross? It is finished. To tell us die. The work was done. The beast of burden. The He'll return, and he won't have to fight when he returns. He'll say, drop dead, and his enemies will drop dead. The work was at his first coming. At his second coming, he's the conquering king, the lion of the tribe of Judah. And before we close, I'll just read how John says that in John 12. Since we're sharing the most we probably ever will about a donkey (laughs) and its correspondence to the things of the faith, uh, we'll read this last little bit too. John 12 It's also a triumphal entry passage. Verse 12 says, The next day a great multitude that had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Then Jesus, when he had found that young donkey, sat on it as it's written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written about him and that they had done these things to him. Well, let's pray. Thank you for joining us for today's edition of Tabernacle Today. To learn more about the Tabernacle, please visit our website at www.thetabernaclefamily.org. There you may access additional Tabernacle Today podcasts as well as other resources. If you don't have a church home or happen to be visiting the area, we'd love to welcome you to one of our weekly services. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to seeing you back for another edition of Tabernacle Today.